We're going to be in 1 John chapter number 1, if you'll take your Bibles, 1 John and chapter number 1. If you ever doubt God's love for you, just uh, read again about Calvary. That is uh, the supreme dis demonstration of God. He committed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, didn't wait for us to get cleaned up before he started loving us. Uh, we love people conditionally. Uh, he loves us unconditionally, unconditionally. So that's a, a great truth in song. Appreciate that. Good to have my in-laws here tonight. Failed to mention that a moment ago. And they, <laughs> hey, I want to say on good terms. So uh, good to have them here tonight. Almost had Brother Decker preach tonight and just felt like we we're supposed to stay in this series. And so he's going to be preaching across town uh, at Cornerstone Baptist Church and more. So if you'd pray for that, he's preaching there Sunday through next Wednesday. All right. So now y'all be here Sunday. Right. Amen. So anyways, but do pray for that meeting. I'm excited that that's going to be going on there. OK, uh, so we just started this new series in First John, and this is sermon number three. And I sure have enjoyed the study of it and the effort to try to get it to preach it and get it across. So let's look at verse number five. We'll just start there. I'm tempted to go back and read verses one through four, but then I'd be tempted to preach them all over again. And then I'd be tempted to let you out late. And so anyways, go ahead. Oh, OK, no. Oh. Let's start in verse five. <laughs> Got plenty to cover here tonight. This then, he says, this then is the message which we have heard of him uh, in reference to Jesus, which we have heard of him that they had seen and heard and touched and handled. That's what he'd said in verses one through four and declare unto you. And here was the message that Jesus helped us to understand about the Father. So when it says here, God is light, that's in reference to the Father. And that doesn't mean that Jesus is any less light, of course, because he too is God um, and just as sinless, of course. But he's in reference to the Father that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. No darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship, fellowship being the main idea that he's dealing with right here. If we say, if we say, if we make a claim, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Because he's, he's in the light. He is light and he's in the light and there's no darkness in him at all. But, verse seven, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light. Here's the two results of that. We have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us, cleanseth us from what? All sin. Fellowship is possible with God and with one another. If we walk in the light, that's the key. If we walk in the light. All right, now he goes to hit the second claim and uh, I'll reserve the rest of the explanation for the time when you're sitting down and we're preaching. Here's the second claim. And he, he's using the editorial we, or he's just saying, listen, this is possible all of us could get this wrong mindset here. So he says, if we say, but he's got somebody in particular in mind. He's got a certain group in mind. But here's what he says in verse eight. If we say that we have no sin, 
If we say we have no sin. Now, this could probably be a really short sermon if I ask. Okay, anybody here think that? Just raise your hand if you have no sin. All right, I don't see one hand. All right, let's go to the house. No, we understand that. We, we understand that we have sin. Okay, let's, let's watch where he goes with this. If we say that we have no sin, here's the result of that. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Has anybody used that verse before? <laughs> Probably every one of us have, and rightly so, absolutely. He goes back to the same ideas in verse 8, but it's really technically the third claim, but it's just restating uh, claim number two, but kind of elaborating on it just, just a little bit. In verse 8, he'd said, if we say we have no sin. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned. Do you see that, a little bit of the distinction between the, and the difference? If we say we have no sin, I, there's, I, I don't have the sin nature anymore. Okay, you're delusional. Okay. If we say we have no sin, but verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned. So if you think you don't have this in nature anymore, then you're probably going to think, well, I don't sin anymore. You think people actually thought that? Think that, thought that, think that? They do. They did. They did and they do. <laughs> if we say that we've not sinned, here's what we do. We make him, who's him? Who's the, yeah, God. We make, we make the Father, we make him, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. All right, look at the verse, latter part of verse eight. His, the truth is not in us. Is that what it said? The truth is not in us. Latter part of verse 10, parallel to that, his word is not in us. His truth is not in us. His word is not in us. How many of you agree tonight? We need the word in us. The truth in us, if we're going to think right about this thing. So since God's preserved it for us, and since we struggle with a lot of the same things, well, the exact same things that they struggle with, then we really need to give attention to these verses right here and see how they apply. I know that most often we really focus on verse 9, and rightly so, but it's in a context. So let's give some real thought to that here tonight. I think you'll see some relevancy. Here's the title of the message. This is third in our series, Love God's Way. We're getting to the part about love, but we can't love God's way if we don't know God and if we're not pure. Able to love God purely, love others purely. So here's sermon number three, the title, Living Without Sin 101. Living Without Sin. I want to teach you tonight how to live without sin. I said, man, I feel some heresy coming on up in here. <laughs> Living Without Sin 101. How to be free from sin that hinders your fellowship with God. I imagine you're here tonight because you do want to fellowship with God. Isn't that right? You, you want a fellowship with God? I, I, I realize we could be here just out of habit, but, but uh, it's a good habit, but let it be a habit that says, you know, I really want a fellowship with God and, and God made us for fellowship with one another. So how do we get that? How do we have that? How can we? Well, sin would be a huge hindrance to that, obviously. So tonight, you're either fooling yourself or you're forgiven. Let's think about that here a little bit. You're either fooling yourself or you're forgiven. 
I like the latter. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Appreciate you giving attention. You ever play hide and seek with a kid that takes his hands, her hands, and they're, <laughs> they think they're hidden because their hands are over their eyes. You can't see me because I can't see you. <laughs> That's rational, right? No, it's not. Not at all. You can't. They, they think they're hidden. They think they think you can't see them because because their hands are over their eyes. You know, I, I think that there are many Christians that are essentially doing the exact same thing. It's not sin if I don't see it as sin. It's not, it's not, that's not sinful thoughts. That's not sinful behavior. That's not sinful music. That's not sinful ideas. That's not sinful actions. It's not sin if I don't see it as sin. It's it's um, you're, you're self-deceptive. I, I thought about it this way. Uh, just a couple other analogies kind of help us get started. And then we'll, we'll get into the text here a little bit. I mean, it's fall season. Boy, I'm sure glad about the relief from the hot weather. That's just totally a side note. But what a blessing. Amen. To feel some fall weather, you know, but with fall comes leaves. We've got about 10 uh, oak trees on our property, I believe it is. And so, you know, do you realize every year the leaves fall? I keep hoping this year they're going to hang on, but oh no, they're, they're, they're falling. I mulched a bunch of them on, on Monday, ran the mower because that way you don't have to rake them and bag them. Somebody say amen right there. Just mulch, mulch them up. And, and right now they're to where they can. Now it's going to get to a place where they are not mulchable. They must be, they must be raked and gathered and, and bagged and such. But, but I, I would be deceiving myself. I mean, even just from Monday when I did the mulching and such to just, I mean, just Monday night and for sure by this morning, I would be deceiving myself to look out there and see all the new leaves that have fallen from the trees and say, we have no leaves. We have no leaves. I watched as my wife was doing some dusting and we would deceive ourselves into saying in Oklahoma, we have no dust. No, we have dust. I mean, you got to deal with the reality of this. But I, I guess you could go on and say, we have no leaves. We have no dust. Um, you tell your son or daughter to take out the trash and, and, and maybe they neglected it one day and now it's day two, maybe it's day three. And, and, and your son or daughter says, we have no trash. But it's just like overflowing. It's just, it's there and it's stinking. It's obvious that you have, you have trash, but, but you're deceiving yourself. You say, we have no trash. Or my shirt's not wrinkled. The guy goes to class and he's just like, all wrinkled and his pants, you know, are all wrinkled. And, and we, I have no wrinkles. No, brother, you got some wrinkles. You need to deal with that. Or to say, my hair is combed. <laughs> well, okay, mine actually is. So it's about as good as it's going to get right here, right? We would just be deceiving ourselves. 
So evidently here in, in, the, gospel, in the epistle of John, as John is writing to them, he's dealing with some who, who were evidently saying, I mean, it's kind of unfathomable to us that, that some would say, you know, I, I really... Since I, I, don't, I don't think, by the way, I don't think that they were saying I've never sinned because if, if they professed even salvation and they professed to believe the gospel, then they would be professing that there is the presence and reality of sin. But somehow in their minds, they got to the place where they had reached some super saint spiritual status where they felt like, thought that, you know, really, I don't even deal with sin anymore. I mean, it's hard for us to think that people could come to that, but really even within our own country, there are those that hold to sinless perfectionism and, and certain denominational lines and, and denominational preachers, which by the way, Baptists are not a denomination, so we didn't have a, any part of it anyways, but, but denominational leaders and lines would, would, would believe that you can kind of reach some state of spiritual maturity where, where sin is so eradicated in your life and the old nature is so eradicated in your life. Evidently, they hadn't read Romans chapter 7 and some other key passages where Paul himself, I would say probably a pretty good Christian, said, you know, I'm, really, I'm still struggling with this. But they're overlooking a whole lot to make their, their point. I, I read a couple of different illustrations and it was told, told a couple of different ways about Charles Spurgeon, who, who in his day and time, there were those that, that taught sinless perfectionism. And, and so he, it, I heard it a couple of different ways. I don't know which way it is. I'm just going to tell it and, and, and just use the illustration. But, but he, it said that he had this individual over to his house and this man was claiming that, yes, indeed, I've reached the state of, of sinless perfection. I haven't sinned in so many years, whatever it was. And so Spurgeon took the glass of water and very quickly just doused it in his face. Well, the guy was very upset and said some things a Christian shouldn't say. And, Christian, and, and Spurgeon said, aha, aha. Your old man is not dead. He just fainted and the water has revived him. <laughs> he proved his point, right? But I mean, you think about it. Somebody says, I, I'm without sin. I haven't sinned in 13 years. <laughs> 13 years. Evidently hadn't driven in Oklahoma in 13 years. <laughs> Evidently, uh, I mean, I, I thought about a list of things. He probably he hadn't been around people in 13 years. He hadn't worked a job. He's evidently not married. He definitely doesn't have kids. <laughs> Claim, counterclaim, solution. That's what we started looking at here as we started into this section. It runs from verse 5 as he's getting into the meat of, of what he's dealing with. And he's saying, listen, uh, some have departed. I, I want to I deal with that a little bit more, but, but some have departed and, and they're making this claim. But here's what he does. He sets it up that way. They have this claim and John, under inspiration, gives a counterclaim. But then thank God, I thank God for this, that he doesn't just leave it there at a counterclaim, but he actually gives a solution to what their original claim was. And that's where we can benefit from this. And so this runs from verse number five of chapter number one, and it goes through chapter two and verse number two. Now you'll notice we didn't read chapter two, one and two, and here's why. If we got started on that tonight, we would indeed preach till midnight because I'm talking about propitiation, the unlimited atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ for our sins. And, and it's clear in this, the only thing I want to reference right here is that John is saying, these things I write unto you that you sin not. He's saying, listen, I don't, you shouldn't sin, but if we sin, 
We have an advocate with the Father. How about we preach that next, next Wednesday night? And so, but anyways, he's dealing with those that felt like that they were superior to John and the other antiquated independent fundamentalists of their day, and that they had reached some state of, of maturity where sin wasn't really sinful to them. They had some new form of grace that brought them to this great place of evidently incredible liberty to where things at one time in terms of behavior was considered sinful now because of their spiritual state. Psst. You know what I mean by psst. They can sin. Well, I mean, they wouldn't call it sin. It's just behavior and it doesn't really affect me and my relationship with God. Okay, now, what, now wait a minute here. They're, they're dealing actually with the right question in many ways. How can we, as sinful people, how can we, this is, this is valid. This is, by the way, oftentimes when people depart from biblical truth, they're dealing with very important and sometimes complicated issues. And, and I don't think they, they set out to be a heretic. I don't think they set out just to be liberal. I want to see how liberal I can. I don't, I don't think it's that. I, I wonder how progressive I can get in my thinking. I don't think it's that. Here's what's happening. They're dealing with a, a real life issue that all of us deal with, but they're dealing with it in an unbiblical way. And I heard on the way to church uh, this morning as I was just listening to the radio and this man quoted the great theologian Yogi Berra who said this, if you don't know where you're going, you better be careful because you might not get there. <laughs> yeah. Anybody get that? Yes, hey, if you don't know where you're going, you better be careful because you're not, you might not get there. Hey, a lot of people have went on this journey away from biblical truth and they have no idea where they're going. And, and if, they, if they're not careful, they, they might not get there because they don't have any idea where they're headed. And John is concerned about this because these individuals were among them. Now, we're going to get to chapter 2 and see that they never were of, of us. We're going to deal with that here in just a, in, in a few weeks, months. I don't think years. Just a little while. But, but they've left. They've departed. And he's dealing with these two things. We've seen this. So I, I, I can hit this with, with rapid pace to say that there was a doctrinal crisis that was going on. And they were denying that Jesus had come in the flesh, that he was indeed incarnate. And they were denying, you know, his deity and denying the extent of his atonement and his blood. And so, man, I'm telling you, John just rears back and just writes and preaches some doctrinal messages right here that were really benefiting from. And so they had departed. They had departed doctrinally. And there's a danger today that, that there would be some, even of you, that could easily be swayed. And some that used to be among us are no longer with us. And, and some that used to be in meetings just like this or church gatherings just like this or, or conferences like we've had are now kind of rubbing shoulders with people that believe in a, in a universal church or, or believe in, in uh, the uh, limited atonement that Jesus only died for a select few or, or, or believe that, you know, baptism, we shouldn't be so narrow-minded when it comes to baptism or we shouldn't be so narrow-minded when it comes to the Lord's Supper. Hey, listen, friend, those doctrines are still in God's Word and, and thus, please listen, I realize that we've already hit this, but isn't it worth hitting again? That they are worth fighting for to this very day. But some have departed and, and it's trendy to kind of fit in with the evangelicals. 
And they get to read other books or listen to other podcasts or listen to other preachers and they get out of the book. Here's what you need to do. Just stay in the book and you'll stay in the right place. They were in a good place. I mean, to think about it, they were there where John had, had pastored and, and had influence and Paul and Timothy and others. And, and yet they said, you know, I'm kind of, I think we probably ought to get away from these old line preachers and teachers and get with the new program. Well, that same trend is going on today. It's a doctrinal crisis, but it also was this, and that's what we're dealing more with is this. It was a moral crisis because there were those that were taking this a very loose and low view of sin. Now that affects every one of us, friend. It really does. But here's, here's what is impossible. It is impossible to have, or it should be impossible. Many try to do it. A high view of God, but a low view of sin and a high tolerance of sin. So John is dealing with this and he's saying, okay, now how then can we have fellowship one with another? I mean, this is a serious deal. This is a matter of their conduct. Listen, here's, here's what we did last week. We, we established this, that as John said, that, that this is the message that we received of him, that God is light and he that, he that, um, that in him is no darkness at all. At all. So it, listen, if we are going, if we are going to have fellowship with one another, here's where we must begin. We must begin with this truth. God is holy. His word is holy and his way of life is holy. Remember, fellowship is not, is not just potluck, but fellowship is this right body of doctrine, right way of living. Those two things. And that is so essential if you're going to have biblical fellowship. We said last week, and I'm going to hit it and move pretty fast beyond it. If you claim to be an OU fan and yet wear a Texas jersey, a Texas hat, a Texas wristband, you lie and do not the truth. That's true if it's years past when OU won some big games, big time. But it's also true when you have a horrendous loss. Unless you're pragmatic and you think, well, my team's not winning anymore. I'm going to the other side. Hey, listen, uh, number one, God is going to win and has won. And, and it, we are on the winning side, as the choir reminds us. We're on the winning side. But, you know, you can kind of look around and say, well, you know, independent fundamental Baptists, they're kind of like waning. They're kind of like antiquated. They still believe that God preserved his word. They still believe that you're supposed to have personal holiness. They still believe, they still believe, they still believe. Yeah, we do. We do because God is still God and God is still holy. He's not let up on his holiness. He's not kind of dim. You know, you have those, those uh, lights in your living room where you can kind of dim the lights and such, you know. Hey, listen, God's full on. He can't dim his light. He can't be any less holy than he is. No, my friend, he's not less holy in the 21st century than he was in the 20th or in the first century. He's still a holy and a righteous God. And if you're going to fellowship with him and if we're going to have fellowship with one another, then we've got to walk in the light as he is in the light. And if we walk in 
the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, evidently there's no other means by which we can be cleansed. The blood of Jesus Christ, not your good works, not your status, not your position. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin so that then we can have fellowship with God. And we can have fellowship with one another. And evidently there is such a thing as a, as a believer that is a sinner. And he needs the blood to just keep on cleansing and keep on cleansing. And that cleansing effect, are you listening to this here just a minute? That cleansing effect of the blood does not give us liberty to live any old way we want to, sin as much as we want to. No, here's what it does, friend. It makes us keenly and acutely sensitive to when sin is present, that I want to stay in fellowship with my great God and he'll forgive me of my sin, but I better confess it right then instead of kind of dabbling into sin and seeing how far I can go. Just making any sense? If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. You lie. You're a hypocrite. You're saying that you're walking with God, but you're really not doing anything for God. You're not tithing. You're not, you're not soul winning. You're not separated from sin and sinners. And, and you're living just like the world. And yet you say you're in fellowship with him. This doesn't add up. I'm trying to move on. That's good truth for every one of us to consider. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness. So, but what I was getting at actually was this. Listen, they're dealing with a real deal. They're dealing with a very key question. How can we as sinners have fellowship then with the holy and the righteous God who has no darkness at all? That, listen, that is a very valid question that you and I need to deal with. So here's how those that went out the door dealt with it. Well, I'll tell you how I'll deal with it. I'm in fellowship with God. I don't have to be at those churches to be in fellowship with God. I'm in fellowship with God. In fact, I'm so much in fellowship with God, I don't even have any sin. Okay, so here's what they're acknowledging. Sin, and every one of us need to recognize this, sin, trespass of God's law, transgression, deviation, breaking God's commandments, sin breaks fellowship with God. But if you reason, okay, sin breaks fellowship with God, I don't have sin. Well, if that were the case, then if that were the case, then you're in fellowship with God. True. If you have no sin. Now, let me submit this to you. If you could do that all by yourself, Jesus didn't have to come. Because there's only one who was, as the Bible says, without sin. He who knew no sin. They say, we have no sin. Actually, the Pharisees said exactly the same thing. When I looked up these, these words here, the only other time that these, this phrase, we have no sin, is used when Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees and he said, if I had not preached to you or spoken to you, you would have no sin. But they were saying that. They did have sin, friend. You know they did. They had sin. He wasn't saying that they were sinless. But what he's saying is this, is that his word showed up on the scene. In fact, we could say it this way. He showed up on the scene and suddenly light was shown and the cockroaches started to run. Isn't that what it is? I mean, the light is on and bugs are running everywhere. What I'm simply saying is this, is that the light of God's word exposes, friend, it exposes the fact of our sin. And that's why sometimes in church you get a little bit uncomfortable because it's the word of God exposing who you are and what you're thinking, what you believe, what you want, what you value more than you value God. And God just calls us out on it, friend. Well, he calls you out on it because he wants to fellowship with you. 
But these, these, these individuals are saying, I'm in fellowship with God because since I got saved and I reached a certain spiritual status, no more sin in my life. I'm just like right there with God all the time. And John said, um, you're deceiving yourself. Because, because God made it clear all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And there's not a just man uh, living among us that, that sins not, Ecclesiastes 7 and other verses, First, uh, first Kings, as they're dedicating the temple, then, then it makes it very clear there that there's not a man on earth that doesn't sin. I mean, it's very clear from the Word of God that every one of us sin. Anybody in the right mind would say, yes, I know that I've sinned. So he says, if you say that we have no sin, then you're deceiving yourself, you're misleading yourself, you're causing yourself to wander away. Now, just hang with me here a minute. I realize nobody here would take that theological position to say, yeah, I've reached some sinless perfectionism. If, if you think you have, just ask your wife. She'll help you with your theology. <laughs> You're misled. The truth is not in us. Uh, what, what, is it, what does it say in verse number eight? Let's look at it again. At it again. The, 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 yeah, the truth is not in us. So that may be parallel with the deceive themselves. But since it's parallel with the latter part of verse 10, the word is not in us. Here it's saying the truth is not in you. You are nowhere near truth to think that you're without sin. Or somehow to think that God is okay with your sin. You have no biblical grounds to make that claim. All right, hang on. They wanted fellowship with God. They wanted to say they were in fellowship with God. And so they said, we have no sin. But they had no biblical basis to say they had no sin. But listen to this. There was and is a biblical way and means to deal with sin. Remember the title of the message? Living Without Sin 101. How can I then, as a sinful man, how can you as a sinful person, be in a place where you can have fellowship with God. Verse number nine. Verse number nine. Everybody with me here? I'm not teaching sinless perfectionism. Everybody listening to me? But I don't believe that every moment of the day that we're living in sin because of the Spirit of God, we could be under His control. Now, I'm going to say this. We very quickly go back and forth. One moment I'm walking in the Spirit. One moment I'm back in the flesh. Now, I said that like I'm enjoying it, but I didn't. If I'm thinking right, I'm not. One moment you can be obeying your parents and thinking, man, they're the greatest parents in the world. Next minute, what are they thinking? Isn't that right? One minute you can be enjoying Bible college. Next minute you can think, man, they give us too much homework. Ah. One minute you can say, man, I love this church. Next minute you can say, man, the services are too long. Huh? Boom, 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 boom. But you're here because you want to have fellowship with God, which means that you need to deal with the sin problem in God's way. You see, the reason that John was calling them out and refuting their position is that they were not dealing honestly with their sin. They were deceiving themselves. In fact, they were calling God a liar. And that what he said in verse 10? If we say that we have not sinned, so if you say you, you have no sin, and on the other hand, in verse number 10, he says that if, they, if we say that we have not sinned, then we have made God a liar. Why, why does he say that? Well, because God very plainly said that all have sinned. But if I say I don't, I don't sin, I don't know what you're talking about, I don't sin, then I'm saying God's, God's got this mixed up. Well, God doesn't have anything mixed up, friend. God gets it all right, and God knows, God in heaven knows every one of us still and struggle with sin. And he said that we're sinners. We might as well just own up to the fact. 
In fact, the quicker, oh man, the quicker that you will own up to the fact that you are a sinner, the quicker you can get to verse number nine and have fellowship with God. But the longer you say, and make other excuses that we're going to get to here in just a little bit, but the longer that you say, I don't really have sin, then you're just deceiving yourself. But if we confess, oh, there it is. There's the beautiful word. The condition for us to have fellowship with God is that we would, we would confess, that, admit with God, admit to God, acknowledge before God that we are sinners. Acknowledge that before God, admit with God. Say, God, you're so right. I am sinful and I do need the blood. And if we confess our sins, listen to this. Oh man, this is good. This would preach a whole Wednesday night and then some. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. He is faithful. Let me deal with that in just a minute. Faithful to do what? Faithful to forgive you of your sin. Look at the next part of the verse. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all, from all unrighteousness. He says, uh, he, he says he's faithful to forgive us of our sins. Aren't you thankful tonight that he said in the word that if we confess our sin, that he would forgive us? That he forgives our sins and, and he said I would forgive their sin and remember their sin. No more. God promised. God promised that if you admit and confess that you are a sinner, he promised he would forgive you. Amen. And forgiveness is a fact, not a feeling. Because sometimes I don't feel forgiven because I remember my past. But forgiveness is a fact, friend. And he's faithful to forgive me my sins. In fact, he's faithful to do this as well, to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That goes back to verse number seven where he cleanses us by the blood, which means this, he's the great stain remover. He removes the sin so that then I'm free. Yes, sir. He's not holding anything against us. He, he's, you don't have to go get bail bonds somewhere. You don't have to have another court date. You don't need Ken Warrior. <laughs> you need Jesus Christ, right. our advocate. And if you confess that I just sinned right there, he's faithful to forgive you and he's just. That means, oh, my soul, this is rich. Just means this. He's just and the justifier of them that believe in Jesus. Romans chapter number three is basically saying this. He, he couldn't just kind of write it off and go like, wink, wink. Oh, okay, I forgive you of your sin and not really deal with sin because he's a just God that must deal with our sin, the guilt of our sin, the punishment of our sin. He would be an unrighteous judge to not deal with our sin as it ought to be dealt with. You have somebody that murdered somebody in your family. What kind of judge would you, would you think him to be if he stood there that day and said to this murderer, this killer, I'm going to let you go free because everybody makes mistakes. You'd say, that's not right. That's not judgment. That's not justice. Well, listen, how much more than would God be just just in all of his ways. So he, listen, he had to deal with our sin. And the way that he did that in a righteous way is that he took our sin debt and he put it on his son and he dealt justly with our sin at the cross. He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness so that then, friends, listen, we can have fellowship with God. Not like we're sin free, never going to sin again, but we, when we do sin, we can very quickly be back in fellowship with God. But if we say, I've not sinned, you made God a liar and the, his word is not in you. 
So, you're either fooling yourself or you're forgiven. What do you mean by that? Well, they were fooling themselves by thinking they didn't have sin. Some people fool themselves by thinking sin's no big deal. I can still, I can still fellowship with God and do what I want. You're fooling yourself and li listen to Galatians. God is not mocked. Listen to Numbers. Be sure your sin will find you out. You think it's no big deal? And now, as I mentioned even last week, and I didn't delve into it then, I'm not delving too deep into it now. But there are those, even among independent fundamental Baptist ranks, who are holding to some new ideas and holding to what's called a new grace idea that God is okay with us social drinking. You're walking in darkness. You lie and do not the truth. God never has been okay with it. He never will be okay with it. It won't work that way. You're fooling yourself to think that God is okay with that. You're fooling yourself to think, hey, look, I can listen to secular rock music. I can listen to secular country music. God doesn't think it's a big deal. Let me ask you this. Does God think that adultery is a big deal? Does God think violence is a big deal? Does God think that, that promiscuity is a big deal? Then if God in heaven still thinks it's a big deal, then so should we. And we're not suddenly in some new age of grace where we get to sin a little bit more than the previous generation that had all these high standards that kept people from fun. No, they're not high standards that try to keep people from fun. They're high standards that try to keep people in a right fellowship with God. Some would say this, well, I, uh, I just think, I don't know that it's like sin. I think it's more like physiological or biological. Like, like I was just born this way. Now, now, now listen, they're saying we don't have sin. It's the same thing. If somebody says, look, I was just born with, with alcohol tendencies. So are you saying God's okay with that? That would contradict his whole word. If somebody said, well, look, I was just born with same-sex attraction. God made me that way. Okay, that, okay, what if I say I'm born with fornication? Um, God made me that way to lust. What have I done? I've made God the author of sin. Is God okay with me being a fornicator? Is God okay with somebody else being a liar? A cheater? An embezzler? A fighter? Is he okay with somebody saying, well, I was just born that way? Well, if, if, if you were born that way and God made you that way, then you're okay to have fellowship with God. But if there's evidence in the scriptures that he is not okay with people being that way and he changed them, to have fellowship with them, then that means that he is not okay with that way. 
And he did not make you be born that way. In fact, you were born, listen to this, this will help, I think, everybody that's here. You were born just like everybody else in here was born. You were born in the same sin nature like we all have. It's just this, it's taking a different form in your life as it has in other people's lives. But all of us are born sinners. And we need to be redeemed by the grace of God and redeemed by the blood of God, by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And thank God that God saved them. And Paul wrote to some who were in that homosexual lifestyle such were some of you, but ye are washed, you are cleansed, you are justified. Woo! So we can't say, I, this doesn't really count against me because I was born that way. You can't, you can't play that card unless you're dealing from a wrong deck. And then it's not going to stand. Sorry to use gambling terminology, but it, it's just not going to hold up. That was terrible, Brother Ted. Don't use that analogy. But <laughs> John refuted this, and he refuted it strongly because he knew how serious that sin was in the life of believers. And he refused it because they weren't dealing with their sin God's way. Now tonight, what you need to do, every one of us, is if there's sin in your life that's hindering your fellowship with God, then you need to deal with that sin God's way. And that would be in verse number nine, to confess it and to forsake it and ask God to cleanse you. And he's faithful and he's just and he said he would. He's not a liar. He'll cleanse you. He'll forgive you. That means he lets it go. Not going to hold it against you. His blood cleanses it so that when he looks at you, he's not thinking about that all the time. Are you, are you following me here tonight? That, that's his mercy and grace. But based on that, you and I need to be at a place where we absolutely refuse to be okay with sin. Refuse to be okay with sin. I like what a man named A.J. Gordon said. He said this, if the doctrine of sinless perfection is a heresy, and it is, the doctrine of contentment with sinful imperfection is a greater heresy. If the doctrine of sinless perfection is a heresy, and it is, he said contentment with sinful imperfection is even a greater sin. Because the person's at a place where they say, oh, you know, we're all going to sin. Everybody's going to sow their wild oats. Boys will be boys. I'll get serious about serving God when I get to be an adult. You're taking sin lightly. Complacent. We ought to have the type of attitude towards sin that recognizes that sin is ugly and grotesque and detestable in the sight and eyes of God. Be ever so sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God using the Word of God to help us to deal honestly and biblically with our sin because otherwise we're just fooling ourselves when we could be forgiven. Thank God tonight you can be forgiven. For a long time I was fooling myself thinking I could keep living I was even full of myself thinking that I in my own power could overcome this. You can't. You've got to have God's help.
I'll never forget the day being out there in that field on Hammett Hill Road when I just cried out to God and said, God, I need your help. I can't overcome this. And God gave me the help. Did you sin after that? Yeah. But what'd you do then? I came back to him. I confessed that I sinned again. How many times you do that? I have no idea throughout the day how many times. But I want to be in fellowship with him. And I want to keep a short list on sin that says, God, I, I don't want this between us. Don't you hate it when something's between you and somebody that you love? It's awful. But when you say, you know, would you forgive me? And when, when you say or they say, I forgive you, you can move on. And thank God, God does that a lot better than what we do. Because he's faithful and just. Let's stand together here tonight. Thank you so much for listening. <clears throat> How to be free from sin that hinders fellowship with God. Well, the way not to be free is to deny it, to minimize it, think it's no big deal, think that God's kind of okay with it. He understands. You're fooling yourself. The best thing to do would be to be serious as God is serious about it and to confess it and receive His forgiveness. Father, thank You for these verses and how they help us. I pray You'd help us to refuse to live in self-deception, self-delusion, where we think we're okay when we're not. Thank you for loving us enough to come after us, <clears throat> to reconcile us to you through your dear son. You've redeemed us with your own blood. Help us not to be okay with sin because you're not in Jesus' name. Amen. As, we stand, as we're standing tonight, we're singing page uh, 255. Is thy heart right with God?